Hello and welcome to Talking Scared. I'm your host, Neil McRobert, and this week we're treading into almost uncharted horror territory. Our guest is Nat Cassidy, actor, musician, playwright and author of one of 2022's most hotly anticipated horror debuts. It's called Mary, An Awakening of Terror, and it tackles what is still absurdly a horror taboo, menopause. Now, it's not lost on me that, yeah, that means two early middle-aged white guys sitting around podcasting for an hour about an experience that we can't possibly truly understand. But when has that ever stopped white guys on podcasts? (laughs) The most we can do is address the topic with respect and humility, something that Nat does for sure in his writing and which I try to emulate in my questions. So yeah, we do talk about menopause and middle age and we ask why those two strands are too often ignored in horror. We talk a lot about Stephen King and the influence of Carrie and we reminisce about the worst year of Nat's life and how it fueled his writing. It's a great, fun, roller-coasting conversation, just like the book. Remember, you can support this show on Patreon, helping me out and getting bonus episodes in the bargain. You know the drill, just use the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash talkingscaredpod. It is deeply appreciated. Otherwise, strap in and come with me to the strangest little desert town in America where all manner of changes are taking place. Let's talk scared. Well, good afternoon, Nat, and welcome to Talking Scared. Thanks for joining me. Hello, lovely to be here. Thank you for hosting me during a, uh, as I'm sure you're about to mention, a, a somewhat taxing time. It is a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, that, well it's a pleasure to have you here, first and foremost. It's, it's taking my mind off both the, the breakdown of, of, well, the state in, in, in the UK <laughs> today. And uh, for the record, we're recording this on the 6th of July. And by the end of today, we could have had a coup. We could have had anything. Who knows what's going to happen? Boris Johnson could have flown away on a magic dragon. I have no idea what's next. Um, yeah, so you're taking my mind off that. And, and secondly, yeah, I've got a heads up. I've got COVID. Um, first time since the start of the pandemic that I know of. <laughs> it, it got me eventually. So if I'm off my game today, I, I apologize to both you and the listeners. I, have you had COVID yet? I somehow miraculously have not. I, I have been forced to go back to uh, working in an office for, God, since like the middle of last year um, with some time off. Uh, uh, but like, uh, yeah, I'm I'm constantly exposed so far. Touch wood doing okay. I did have a false positive scare at one point uh, where I got a positive PCR, but then I took like three PCRs, one a day for the next three days, and those all came up negative. So, so far, as as far as I know, I have avoided it. But I feel like it's, uh, uh, you know, hope, hopefully not just a matter of time, but it feels like it's going to be a matter of yeah. time because uh, everyone, everyone is getting it this round. So I'm sorry that it's your turn. Yeah, I mean, I'm more concerned about my wife, but she's on the mend. I am. Um, I'm. I'm getting steadily iller as today progresses. I thought last night, Gosh. oh, I'm going to be one of those asymptomatic cases, uh, but now I'm. I'm getting chills and hot, and it's all going to pieces. So I'm going to finish this in a, about an hour, and then go and play Elden Ring for the rest of the afternoon. You've earned it. You deserve <laughs> it. Um, 
So, yeah, as I said, apologies. And if I go in some strange mental state and start asking weird questions, that might be quite fitting for the subject matter. See, right. even in the depths of illness, I can still come up with a torturous segue. That's, that's, real, <laughs> that's real craftsmanship. Brilliantly done. <laughs> Thank you. I say that because your new novel, Mary, colon, An Awakening of Terror, which I think is important, it's all about distorted minds, off-kilter perspectives of a very particular type and it's out today today when you hear this july 19th uh, from tor nightfire and i suppose what can you tell us about it um yeah it is uh, we're in we're an unreliable narrator uh land so that it does feel very apt um mary uh uh it's crazy to think that it is out now because this is a book i actually first uh started writing when I was like 13. So that aside, it's just, it's very surreal to be talking about it. Uh, but Mary is about um, our main character, Mary Mudgett, who is 49 years old. She's about to turn 50 in a couple of weeks. And uh, things just don't feel normal. She's, uh, uh, she feels very uncomfortable in her skin. She's, uh, she's having hot flashes. Her, her stomach is constantly upset. Everything just feels very off kilter. Uh, and, uh, you know, when she's able to speak to a doctor, it's all dismissed as this is just your age or 49 turning 50. This is very natural for a woman, uh, of, of that age group. And, and she feels very dismissed and, um, ignored because among the, uh, the typical side effects of perimenopause, uh, it doesn't include the voices in her head telling her to do horrible things. And the uh, the hallucinations that she's beginning to experience every time she looks into a mirror or sees a woman about her age on the street, um, she's she's starting to see herself and people like her uh, decomposing very uh, very rapidly and very vividly. So she's she's got a feeling something else is wrong, uh, but she can't get anybody to corroborate that. And then her life winds up kind of falling apart very quickly. She gets fired from her job. She gets made redundant because essentially she's too old and uh, she has no money, no insurance, no anything, uh, no social life uh, to really speak of. She's very uh, introverted. She only has her collection of Hummel figurines that she basically talks to. Uh, and then an abusive aunt from her past who she hasn't spoken to in decades calls her out of the blue and begs her to come home to the town where she grew up. Uh, to take care of her. Uh, and it's this very strange, isolated uh, desert town in the middle of Arizona, uh, where Mary basically has no memory of her childhood uh, or, uh, uh, or her past, kind of in general. And so she takes this as an opportunity to go back home, take care of her shitty aunt, uh, and kind of touch base with who she is and who she was and what is going on in her life. Uh, it's very much a, a journey of self-discovery that, uh, as you can imagine it being a horror novel, takes uh, takes some twists and turns once she gets <laughs> there because her hallucinations uh, start to happen outside of her head when she gets there. She's, uh, she's seeing uh, ghosts and specters and, and, and things get more vivid and the voices get louder and more awful and I'll, I'll leave it there. But, uh, but let's just say it is very much a, a journey of self-discovery uh, that many people are not going to survive. <laughs> well, well, that's a very fulsome synopsis, <laughs> yet it still leaves so much to discover. And it's, I think, first of all, to start with some just overt praise, having finished the book, I was genuinely impressed by how well you laced through these implications that 
the reader isn't even aware are implications until much later in the book. And you mentioned lots of them in that summary then. Listening to you talk, then I realised how much of the truth of Mary's real situation is hinted at in the very first chapters. And yet you don't find out what's really going on until, you know, 400 pages later. This is a big old book. So on a purely <laughs> structural level, basically round of applause. Thank you. That, that, that means a lot. I, I like to think of myself as a very uh, structure obsessed writer. So uh, a lot of thought went into that. And I'm, I'm very pleased to, to hear that it worked for you. Um, so with that structure in mind and with that intricacy, you say you first came up with this idea when you were a kid. Um, has it been percolating and, and being refined and sculpted away at for all that time? Sort of. Um, it was always, uh, uh, I shouldn't say always, it was originally a very nebulous mess. I wrote <laughs> it, uh, uh, the, the, the first attempt at writing it, which again, I was like 13. Uh, I knew I wanted to pay homage to Carrie. The, the titles rhymed, the characters' names rhymed for a, for a reason. And I wanted it to be a kind of uh, a mirror image of Carrie. I wanted it to be about menopause, uh, about which I knew literally nothing at that age. Uh, other than the fact that it existed. And I was like, oh, okay, this, this seems interesting, like an interesting corollary. Um, and uh, I knew that um, there was going to be a sense of mystery about it, a sense of uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, onion peeling, getting getting to, to see more and more about this character. Uh, and I knew the central twist, which, you know, this is... This is sort of a spoiler, but not really, because it's also kind of on the on the on the back cover of the book. But I knew I knew that it was going to be about reincarnation and it was going to be about a serial killer. Um, that's kind of all I was vamping on for about a hundred pages at uh, at the age of thirteen, and then it ended uh, uh, with a uh, with an ending that I kind of didn't realize was so influenced by uh, there. Besides, I should say, besides Carrie, there was one other book that that highly influenced me at the time, which I was reading, uh, which is Ramsey Campbell's The Parasite. Uh, and it wasn't until I recently reread The Parasite that I was like, oh, I did also kind of crib the ending of The Parasite in the original version of Mary, uh, <laughs> which is that it end. It spoiler for a fifty year old book, but it ends with a kind of a suicide. Of like you know uh, I can't control myself anymore. This is the this is the last thing of, of in my control that I can do to kind of save the world from my evil, uh, and so it ended with Mary killing herself. Um, that was that was it. So like the structure was kind of just like a whirlpool, uh, just kind of spiraling to this inevitable end. Um, it wasn't until I, I go into this a little bit in the. Uh, in the wraparound material of the book, uh, the forward and the afterward, but I've broken this story for a number of different media. Mm -hmm. um, you know, originally it was it was going to be a book, and then I kind of, uh, in my, despite the fact that I, uh, you know, am, am replete with things to write about, that has thankfully never been an issue of mine. I always kept coming back to this story because I was like, I like this premise and I like this character. I'm very intrigued by it. So like, I, I kept coming back to this story to try and you know, actually make it work. And uh, at a certain point, like 10 years ago, I broke it for audio drama. So I was, uh, I'm, a, I'm a member of a, an audio drama um, uh, production company. 
Um, and uh, so I so I broke it for that medium. And that's a very structured medium. We, we mm-hmm. knew it was going to be a, a finite amount of episodes. It's going to be like 14 episodes. So I kind of reimagined this idea uh, with a 14 episode structure, half an hour episodes. Uh, and so that's where like the, uh, you know, my training as a, as a playwright and a screenwriter really kicked in. And I was like, I need to give some structure to this gloopy madness uh, and kind of built it from there with a series of reveals and discoveries and, and red herrings and stuff like that. Um, that's, that's where the, uh, there's a, uh, there's a cult subplot that, uh, that is built into the story. What's interesting is, um, so I, I had kind of invented that for the podcast version because I was like, oh, we need some, we need some extra characters. We need some uh, excitement. We need some, some twists and turns. Uh, but I, as I said, r- recently reread Ramsey Campbell's The Parasite, and my bookmark from when I first read it is in there. Uh, <laughs> and by bookmark, I mean like I, I had like the the far side day calendar uh, <laughs> sort of set up, and I would I would tear a day out and, and fold it and put it in the book, and I would write little notes to myself on it. Um, and you know, I, I did that my whole my whole childhood. Uh, but that bookmark is still in there. And on that bookmark is a little note about uh, like, what if the town is in on it? What if there is kind of, I, did, I didn't have the language for cult then, but like, what if essentially there was a cult? So weirdly, that idea has always been there for this story, but it took a uh, uh, long story, slightly less long. It took having years as a playwright and as a, as a script writer and as someone, you know, as those, those disciplines, which are very structure oriented, it, it took that, uh, that uh, that training and that experience to kind of bring Mary to what it is now, which is, uh, I think, and I'm I'm glad to hear you think as well, a very structured and a very uh, purposeful narrative. Yes, that's a great word, purposeful. Um, you've opened a whole kind of worms there because, like, there's too many <laughs> things, I can ask you too many things. There. I could ask you about your because you are a genuine Renaissance man. I mean, you work in all the arts. I mean, you were you were singing Springsteen the other day on Instagram. We will get to Springsteen because I never pass up a chance to talk about Springsteen. Yes. Um, I could also ask you about Carrie, and I, I will do because I've got a whole I've got a whole raft of things I want to ask you about comparisons and inspirations. But before we get to any of that, let's start with what I think is the biggest issue amongst a lot of big, chewy issues at the heart of this novel. Um, the one that dominates is is menopause and perimenopause. And, and it's striking because it's so rarely attended to in fiction. So let's start there with that obvious question. Why did you, and more importantly, why did you as a 13-year-old boy choose to focus a horror novel on that topic? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. One I have wrestled with this entire process um, kind of, uh, kind of funneling in my macro answer is I've always been fascinated by the body and by the relationship of the body to, uh, storytelling and to, um, to the way we understand the world. Um, I, I my, my background primarily is as an actor. I've, I've had a lot of like physical training and all that stuff. Uh, and my, both of my parents were in the medical profession too. Uh, my mom was a an orthopedic PA physician's assistant, and my dad was a bunch of things. Uh, but uh, when he met my mom, and and for the majority of his life, he was a uh, cardiovascular surgery PA, uh, and he was kind of among the first PAs. He was in like the third class, third or second class of physician's assistants. So he kind of helped uh, uh, jumpstart that as a profession. 
Uh, and uh, so, so all of which is to say, I grew up with medical textbooks surrounding me and I was <laughs> obsessed with them. I used to read them all the time. I used to memorize the bones and the body and, and all the, uh, uh, you know, all the, all the muscles and all the systems. I, I very seriously considered going into pathology uh, when I was, uh, uh, you know, beginning my, my college journey. Um, so I've just always been fascinated by by that and by the relationship with the physical and the uh, ephemeral. Um, and when I was 13, I was going through puberty. So I was very aware of the effects that had, you know, the kind of physical realities that were happening and, and how that was affecting my mental state. Uh, and my mom would have been in her, her mid, uh, mid 40s, let's say. Um, and you know, we had a very, uh, frank and open relationship. She was a, she was a single mom raising two kids, uh, and she could only work part-time cause she had MS, uh, which is, you know, a, a, a very progressive and, and, uh, long complicated disease. So we were always aware of, of what was happening to her physically. Uh, and we were very close, she and I, um, so she, you know, she probably would have thought nothing of, of, uh, <laughs> of kind of venting about uh, some of the hormonal changes she might have been going through at the time as well. Um, all of which is to say, like, it was all, it was just in the air uh, when I was, when I was that age. And so I uh, was fascinated by it. And I was a Stephen King obsessive, still am, uh, and had read Carrie uh, probably a half dozen times at that point. Um, and I also have like a very personal connection with Carrie that I mentioned in the, uh, in the foreword of the book that, uh, I'll, I'll leave the reader to discover, but like Carrie was just always kind of an important story to me. And um, so I kind of wanted to craft a narrative in homage and also as just kind of like a, 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 a twist on, you know, puberty horror. Mm -hmm. And as I, as I alluded to earlier, I, I, I didn't, I didn't do it justice at all at that age. I, I didn't know shit about shit. Uh, but, uh, the, the nugget of the idea was, was very fascinating to me. So it wasn't until I kind of, uh, grew up and became, uh, not just a more mature writer, but a more mature person. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I very much consider myself a, a feminist and was raised in a very feminist household. Uh, and, and that paucity of menopause narratives that, that you mentioned became very, uh, apparent to me and just kind of the, the way in which our, our culture sort of shrieks and hides from dealing with with middle-aged uh issues in general but particularly ones that we've kind of uh segmented off as as women's issues like we don't talk about them we don't like to think about them it's just very it's it's all in poor taste and we stick it over here in a corner and and you know that that's for you ladies to deal with we won't talk about that ha 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 you're it's all in your head um it's that that became glaringly noticeable to me and so when i revisited this idea as an adult I was like, oh, we can actually like confront some of this. We can we can explore some of this, uh, and you know, I was I was aware that maybe it's not exactly my place to riff on these sort of ideas as a as a you know at the time thirty nine year old uh, cis white man. Uh, but a, I wasn't seeing any other stories about it, so I was I was kind of eager to just try, mm -hmm. and b. Um, and this is something I, I go into in much more detail in the, in the afterwards. One of the things I wanted to do with this book was actually look at the reaction to menopause 
Uh, and that is something I feel like I am qualified uh, to discuss because, you know, the way we treat women once they reach a certain age is this very uh, uh, toxic and, and, and patriarchal uh, uh, sort of reaction to women no longer being young and, and fertile and, and quote unquote useful. Uh, and I know that uh, culture very well as a man. Um, I, I'm aware of that. So I, I felt like I was able to actually give voice to the antagonism of mm-hmm. this book. And, uh, you know, trust my editor and my my beta readers and stuff like that to make sure I was uh, doing justice to Mary's voice, because I knew I could dramatize the uh, the kind of horror around her from a from a more authentic place. Again, very long answer. Uh, hopefully you could diagram and track that. This is what we're here for. Um, <laughs> and you, you kind of preempted something I was going to say, because, yeah, I am aware that we are two cis white guys of similar age talking about menopause like we have any idea of what it's really like um i will say listeners stand down because we are addressing it you do go to great lengths in the afterwards to interrogate both your right and your responsibilities in telling this story um and yeah i take on board everything you say but if i'm honest reading it it still feels like there's some kind of residual discomfort on your Mm. part is is that fair uh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's probably inescapable because again, it's a topic we don't we don't deal with. We don't talk about that much. So, like, I did a uh, a little list for uh for for a website that wanted like a list of of similar books and stuff like that. Uh, and originally, I was going to do a uh, list of horror stories about middle age, and I I couldn't find any. Like, it, it really uh it really kind of uh, emphasized to me how uh. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to say taboo because that feels like I'm patting myself on the back. But there, but there is just a scarcity of narratives that deal with this in the first place. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it was also me just kind of figuring out, um, you know, uh, uh, how how do I even how do I even do this? And um, uh, yeah, so th- so there's there's that uh, discomfort. There's also, you know, it's all it's always so challenging to write about a thing uh, people go through. Uh, and have it kind of attempting to, you know, not be a thesis paper, but uh, attempting to say something about this thing when this is a thing that affects individuals. So everybody that uh, uh, that goes through menopause, uh, anybody with it, with a uterus or after a hysterectomy or, or, or anything like that, like anyone who goes through menopause is actually going to go through a, a kind of individualized and unique thing anyway. So uh, the... <laughs> The shitty doctor in in one of the first uh, uh, chapters makes a joke, but it was a it was a joke that I've encountered from from people from uh, 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 from better standing than this fictional doctor about the subject of menopause. But it was like you you meet one woman going through menopause, you've met one woman going through menopause, uh, and uh, even to say a woman going through menopause, like even that is is uh, um, reductive uh, to a to a degree because uh, not just women go through menopause. You know, it is it is a very specific and individualized uh, experience on top of uh, on top of everything else. So I think I was also aware of that and just kind of trying to respect it and trying to honor it while also trying to tell a specific story about a specific character uh, who has her specific foibles uh, and achieve a specific attempt in that it is a horror novel. Uh, and I wanted things to get fucked up 
real fast. Uh, and, and, and they real really do. They, they really do. I mean, <laughs> we've, had, we've had quite a socially conscious conversation so far, but this is a book in which right. a dog gets ripped apart in a bathroom by a ghost. So, yeah, the, don't, don't get, I don't want people thinking it's, it's a dry academic treatise on, uh, on gender <laughs> relations. You know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of bloodshed. But I, I just, I found that, that kind of soul searching afterward, and, and I'll, I'll let the listeners find it for themselves. I, I, I found it really interesting because it's rare that you get such a nuanced take on this idea of who has the right to tell certain stories. Um, and it's something that I've thought about a lot because it's, it's really one of the hills that I die on. Um, and this may, this may piss some people off, but like my take on the whole issue is that anyone has the freedom to write down whatever the hell they want. And, And I say that knowing that I'm cleaving terribly close to a Lionel Shriver opinion, which is, really a good place to be um but i'm really not for censoring creativity in that way however whether publishers buy the book and whether readers accept it that's another thing altogether uh and i think any writer taking on any kind of alternative perspective other than their own should obviously do it with respect and, and a degree of authenticity which you definitely do in mary um did you do a lot of research for this? I imagine you were pouring over all kinds of personal memoirs. I did, yeah. I uh, uh, and I, I I agree. I think uh, you know the the creation of art is incredibly complicated and incredibly difficult, and like we don't always get to choose uh, uh, the stories that that uh, kind of demand to be written. Uh, uh, but the kind of bare minimum is to make sure you do that research and you pay the, mm-hmm. uh, the respect to a uh, perspective outside of your own. Uh, uh, that's, that's kind of where I fall on it as well. Uh, and so, you know, with that being said, I thankfully, uh, uh, YouTube is a great resource for, for sort of lifestyle issues and stuff like that. I, I, I got to, uh, uh, watch a lot of stuff about perimenopause and menopause, uh, from, from OBGYNs and from people going through it. I read a bunch of books, uh, on the subject matter as well. I had, um, enlisted like 10 readers in advance, uh, who had all gone through it or were going through it to kind of make sure, uh, I was staying in my lane. I trusted my editor who had also gone through it. And, um, she was, you know, she was very frank and, and really great about, uh, letting me know when I'm, when I'm, uh, uh, stepping on myself. Uh, and, uh, then we also made sure we, uh, uh, we utilized a couple of readers who actually have like a background in, in feminist theory and stuff like that too, to see if there were any blind spots at all. And who also like, didn't know me. So even like subconsciously, they didn't care if I succeeded or not. They, they would tell me if it was, uh, if it was shitty and it was actually one of them, uh, who was like, I gotta be honest, I almost put this book down after like 50 or 75 pages or so, because there was this, uh, you know, sort of thrumming undercurrent of misogyny and self-hate that I Mm. found really, uh, unpleasant. But she went on to say like, then I read the rest of the book because, you know, I, uh, she was, she's uh, friends with the editor and was like, I I trusted you and why you sent me this thing. And then when I got to the like midway point where, where uh, uh, some of the twist is revealed and we realize why that voice is there. uh, And it it is very purposeful. uh, It's not an accident. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, a blind spot of mine uh, that that kind of misogyny was in there. 
um, that's when I realized what this book was doing. And then I, then I, you know, I devoured the rest of it and I, I uh, incredibly appreciated the ending and all that stuff. Uh, so like I knew why that stuff was there in the beginning, but, uh, you know, maybe it would be a good idea if you had like a little forward, like a little intro to this book to warn people that, uh, the, uh, the misogyny, the internalized misogyny particularly is on purpose. Uh, and so that's where the forward and eventually afterward came from, because I was like, shit, that's, that's a really good point. Like, again, like, I don't want to apologize for this book. I don't want to make it sound like I'm like, I had no business writing this. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I wrote it. Uh, but instead be like, uh, you know, as I even say in the afterwards, like, I don't claim to be an authority on any of this or on my right to tell it, but here's why I did. Uh, and hopefully that is enough to, uh, to make the reader feel like they're in, they're in, in, if not the best hands, then at least hands that are coming from the right place uh, and and with good faith. Well, indeed, and it's a book that's both on a practical level inspired me and just really made me feel like, oh shit, I've got to do better myself because I'm. <laughs> I've been, I mean, listeners know I've been tussling with various writing projects for a while. And one of the things I've been trying to write is a a very kind of hardcore sort of pared down thriller about a very particular incident of essentially jihadist terrorism. Hmm. And one, it feels like the world has moved a little bit on from that threat, you know, um, touch wood. It feels like it's no longer in the, the zeitgeist in the same way when you've got homegrown terrorists all over right. the place. But I also realized that I, I was doing my research on Wikipedia and I was like, this is not good enough. You know, it's just not good enough. I need to really understand, even if these people are outright villains, what, what leads to that villainy. And I also need to understand how to write sort of Islamic characters who who are on the right side of the line, you know, and, and, and do it authentically. Uh, and it's really made me just kind of put the project down and think, no, I, I need to know what I'm doing with that kind of story, really, you know, before I take it on any further. Um, so reading Mary and reading your list of works site, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to find the time <laughs> to write, read like 40 books about the history of, of the Middle East before I even go back to writing a word. Um, but you have also proved it can be done. <laughs> Yes, it can. And it's actually, you know, I, it's, it's quite enriching. Um, I, uh, and some of this is maybe informed by, by, by my background as an actor. Um, but like getting to immerse yourself in, uh, something that's not your standard is I think so exciting. And it's like one, one of the reasons why, uh, being a storyteller, whatever medium you are you are using, is so enriching to uh, to your own life, and and also like why we consume stories. Like I love that as a as an audience member too, just getting to experience something new that expands my understanding of the world in which I'm I'm rattling around. Uh, so I I uh, and also like not just the dry research, which can sound like a bit of a drag, but like having conversations with people. Um, and, uh, you know, hearing the, hearing where you're falling short and also, mm -hmm. you know, occasionally getting a, a nice pat on the back with like, yeah, that, that feels authentic is also, you know, just very, very nice. Um, the, the book I'm currently writing, the, uh, the protagonist, uh, is paraplegic. So I've been, uh, having conversations with people at like the, the Christopher and Dana Reeve foundation about what it's like and, uh, you know, and also what it's not like mm -hmm. from my, my, my perspective and my, you know, the things that I'm assuming. 
Um, so like it's 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 great. I it I I love anything that makes the world feel like just like it clicks into a slightly sharper focus. And yeah. like, oh, I I can see that a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like it's it's actually like I find a, a very uh, integral and, and enjoyable part of the process. Yeah. Well, I will. I will keep powering on um, <laughs> with my own discipline. Um, you make obviously no disguise of the fact that that Mary is heavily influenced by by Carrie, um, and it, it made me laugh a little. You, you talk in the foreword about how the, the cover of De Palma's movie really bothered you as a child. Hmm. I, I would have exactly the same relationship with the the paperback cover of the book. Uh, that picture of Sissy Spacek with with um, <laughs> blood pouring down her face. It used to look down at me from my my shelf and just haunt my dreams. Um, and and as I've said elsewhere on, on this and other podcasts, Carrie was very much my introduction to horror because I remember mm. my dad once for some reason telling me the story, and I was like eight or something. It just it just really it just fascinated me this idea of this before I'd even heard the word Steve the, the name Stephen King. This this story just fascinated me. Um, and I just think it's, isn't it mad that, you know, you said at the start, the taboo around quote unquote women's physical issues, whether it's, you know, menstruation or menopause, isn't it mad that Stephen King, like 50 years ago, in two years, that book will be 50 years old. And I can't really think of a a more frank dealing with um with with the issue, for example, of menstruation and female puberty by a man since it's like we haven't we haven't progressed at all right. <laughs> in fifty years <laughs> in dealing with those topics until until Mary is the other the alternative bookend. Yeah, it's 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 bananas. It's uh, sorry for the strong language, but it is bananas. Um, and like he went through a similar journey. Like he, there's the famous uh, uh, anecdote of he mm-hmm. started writing it, crumpled it up, threw it in the trash, and his wife pulled it out of the trash and started reading that shower scene uh, and was like, you've got something here. And he was like, how the fuck am I going to write about teenage girls? Uh, and she was like, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and yeah, it's, I mean, God, Psycho, the movie Psycho uh, uh, was 1960. Uh, and that was the first time there had ever been a toilet flushing on screen. Yeah. Like, it's like, all of this is actually pretty, uh, uh, pretty recent when you think of it, like the way we deal with like bathroom things. Um, uh, yeah, so it, it is it is kind of bonkers. It does, horror is meant to make us uncomfortable. Uh, it's meant to jar us from, from uh, wherever we're sitting uh, in our comfort and uh, bathroom stuff, uh, the, the stuff that happens to our bodies kind of naturally uh, still feels like one thing that uh, we do tiptoe around especially if it is something that happens to people who are not uh kind of bog standard white male protagonist uh in a book like it's just kind of something that we're like uh, uh, uh there's there's nothing to be gained from this there's nothing to be uh, uh to be mined from this ground it's just gross mm. uh and that's kind of the fun of it to be like no let's let's <laughs> fucking play around with this let's let's see and maybe in a weird uh, uh offhanded way celebrate the fact that we're all these fucking decomposing flesh bags that are filled with water and electricity and like we're all gonna die and nobody knows what any of this means and none of us asked to have a body in the first place and then we've got to like take care of them for you know something up to like 80 or 90 years if we're lucky and like 
let's uh, let's try and understand this better and try and uh, try and delight in the absurdity of these existences that we are consigned to. Well, yeah, and 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 that body horror comes very much to the fore in certain scenes. And it's interesting that you mentioned bathroom scenes in Psycho because the, the the bathroom in in Mary's new home is a fairly important location <laughs> in this book. Um, and I, actually, something just occurred to me. Speaking of Stephen King's influence, um, you know, Mary sees this this ghost of this 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 rotting female body in a bathtub, and it, it's hard to read that and, and not think of Room Two One Seven in the Overlook Hotel. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, big time. The Shining is a is a huge influence on me as well, and especially for my next book, actually, uh, which uh, has some very similar structural um, uh, similarities. But yeah, I bathrooms are, I I think, terrifying. Uh, uh, there's another Stephen King book, um, Dreamcatcher, the his his you know first like <laughs> the shit accident one, the shit weasels. Yeah, and he, I remember like even even the title originally he had titled it Cancer. And once again, Tabitha King stepped in and was like, oh, let's, uh, let's, let's change that. Uh, uh, but like he had even at the time made kind of a big deal of, you know, he wanted it to have the bathroom be such a central location with the shit weasels and with, with that idea that we're, you know, I'm paraphrasing him a little, but he was like, some of our worst discoveries happen in the bathroom. <laughs> uh, uh, rich, poor, old, young, doesn't matter. Like you look into the bowl and you see something there that's not supposed to be there. And like that changes the trajectory of your life. So the bathroom is this like very vulnerable and, uh, you know, kind of dreadful place. Um, <laughs> it's arguable whether a dream catcher as a story actually like really captures what he was going for there. Uh, but I, that, that quote always stuck with me and that idea always struck with me. Uh, so yeah, I love, uh, I, I will not turn down a comparison to room 217 of the shining. <laughs> Thank you. Well, speaking of King then while we're on the topic, cause I, it's, I think it's been, been a while since I've mentioned King. I normally crawl back into every conversation. Um, and it, it's been a while. So I'm taking the chance it does feel like he's a big influence for you generally, um, especially in your chosen style of kind of passing out Mary's inner life. You use these italics and, and fragments of, of text to get across, I don't know, the, like the discordant nature of her inner thoughts. And I find myself doing the same when I write kind of first person um, or close third person narration because I grew up on a on a diet of King. Is that where that comes from? Do you think? Yeah, unfortunately, it's really fucking hard to uh, to escape. I <laughs> hey, I'm not calling you derivative. I'm just saying it. No, no, are, it's, you know, uh, no. I um, I I take it uh, with all the with all the flattery that is implied. Like it is uh, the way I look at Stephen King is kind of the way I look at English. Like he's he's my my mother tongue. I uh, I. To call me a, a king obsessive is to kind of downplay it a little bit. I, if if this were a video podcast, you would see uh, just there are numerous bookshelves behind me in my office, and they're they're filled with you know uh, uh, all sorts of uh, horror novels from from all sorts of people. But uh, but Stephen King has primacy, uh, and uh, uh, I've I've read everything he's ever published, uh, mm-hmm. including things like. The Plant or Before the Play in the TV Guide uh, for the Shining miniseries. Uh, like, I, I've just always been a Stephen King obsessive. 
and I don't even like to consider myself an obsessive. I kind of consider myself more like an acolyte. Like I, I, uh, you're uh, speaking to the right crowd here, man. Honestly, like, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm. I'm I not almost alone. spent a year reading every book he wrote in consecutive order. Yeah, and I also want to make you jealous. I've got a copy of Fairy Tale. Oh, it, I want to hear all about your thoughts on it. I can't say anything. I'm embargoed <laughs> until the September sixth. But yeah, it's uh, if if you like old school King, you'll like it. Is what I'm saying. Um, I'm so excited. Speaking of those fragmentary thoughts I just mentioned, one of the things that I really liked about your book is now, now forgive me on this if I've totally misinterpreted this right it feels to me like Mary is already a little off kilter when we meet her those thoughts are already quite fragmentary and quite broken down and it's actually weirdly not dissimilar to Jack Torrance at least in the Kubrick version in that you know, there's an oddness right from the start am I right in that are we supposed to think that Mary's perspective and her decision making is a little off throughout yeah, one hundred percent. This is oh, a, this is a book that uh, kind of dramatizes the uh, the question of nature versus nurture, uh, and I don't want to I don't want to say how it ends, but uh, mm-hmm. it being a very uh, uh, somatic book, it being very much about like body and physical reality and all that stuff. Um, uh, nature does kind of get a get a bit of a uh, an upper hand, I would say. Um, yeah, there, there is, <laughs> there is definitely something off kilter about her, and it's whether uh, uh, she has a say in that off kilterness. I think that is the ultimate dramatic well, question. Well, that's interesting because reading it, the I don't know what the word is for that because it's not tone, it's not atmosphere, it's more of a, I suppose, a perspective. It's it's something that's between the words. I, I don't know, but it reminded me very much of the feeling of sort of derealization during an anxiety attack. Hmm. Everything's a little bit not right, but you cannot pin down any sort of salient singular example of what is wrong. There's just a sense of offness. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect way to put it. I am frequently trying to capture that feeling of like panic attackness mm. in the things I write. Uh, because yeah, that, that has always fascinated me that like you're you could be going completely insane but nothing physically is uh kind of presenting itself uh uh and uh, i love i love that feeling of like mental torment and mm-hmm. and, uh, and stuff it's something i because i'm someone who has like all kinds of weird free thought and anxiety problems and yeah and that sense yeah. of slippage of where you wake up at the end of the day the world's just not quite quite right it that that's how this book felt to me um like like as if from the very starting point mary was in this this bubble of slight unreality i um it, it, it's good but it's it's quite it's quite disconcerting in parts but it, it's quite a thing to maintain over like 500 pages as well yeah i've i it's been fascinating to watch like the reviews start rolling in from from readers and thankfully they've the the bulk of them have been uh kind of extraordinarily positive but the people that don't like it, uh, a lot of the a lot of the times, what they will kind of all say similarly is like it's it's a lot to spend this much time in this character's head. Like I just mm-hmm. didn't like being in her head, <laughs> and it's <laughs> like I get it. I can definitely get that. Um, but uh, uh, you know, it's fu- it's funny going back to the Stephen King thing too. Like I'm working on uh, shedding some of those influences in a way because. I don't think of it as a long book or as like a long journey. To me, it feels like kind of a, because my point of comparison is always Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. I literally, but behind my computer, I have a list of all his, his, his books organized by word count. 
Uh, so when I was first writing Mary, I was like, oh, this is coming in at like 120, 130,000 words. Okay. This is like, uh, this is like Firestarter or, uh, or end of watch. Like nobody thinks of those as long Stephen King books. So like I wrote a really concise little yeah. thriller here. Uh, uh, and I have, I have, uh, uh, had to open my eyes a bit to well, the realities of. Indeed. There's, there's been a whole thing on Twitter this week where people, um, sort of talk about the dis- the distinction between contemporary horror and horror of the 80s and how, how that kind of massive big book has become quite unfashionable uh, uh-huh. i'm desperate for it for it to return i just want it to come back because like one of my favorite reads of last year was chuck wendig's book of accidents i'm looking forward yeah. to the sequel to wanderers this year because you know give me start at 800 pages and work upwards that's that's what i want from my horror <laughs> because i think that's where often where the heart creeps in when you've got the time to to dwell on a character and talk about their life aside from the horror you know and talk about the things that happen on their commute to work and it may not be relevant at all to the story but you really care by the end and i there's nothing you know a great rapier sharp kind of go for the throat thriller is is great but nothing to me will be as, as good as sitting on a beach with a sort of thousand page horror novel thinking like, you know, this contains multitudes. I 1000% agree. Like the, some, sometimes the digressions and the, the, mm-hmm. the fat are the, the best part, the part that like enriches you the most. I think in a way, like I, I know the, the, the trend for, you know, 80,000 word uh, novels. Uh, some of that is is borne out because of like logistical concerns and costs of paper and stuff like like actual real things you need to consider. But like I think some of it too is just stories are so hyper saturated right now. Like you can, there's so many TV shows to watch, there's so many movies to watch, there's so many uh, so many books to get to that like reading a book sometimes can be just an item on a checklist mm-hmm. and like people feel like they want to read it so they can have it read and they can have the discussion and they know how the plot goes uh, and then move on to the next one. Uh, and there is something about a more immersive, you know, you don't want it to be over long. You want it to be as long as it wants to be. Uh, but that kind of immersive book that you have to take your time with a little bit mm-hmm. uh, is uh, I, there's nothing like it. And like, it's, it's to me, I find that to be like my favorite form of entertainment uh, uh, so yeah, I hope, I hope s- a- a- at least, uh, uh, a patience for those book books of those length, uh, come, comes back a little more to the forefront cause, uh, it's fun. Well, Paul Tremblay told me in, in an interview that trying to work out, work out that's gone out by this point when this goes live, I've lost track with the calendar. I've got COVID. But anyway, <laughs> he told me, um, that Maria Enriquez who wrote things we lost in the, is it things we lost in the fire i'm getting mixed up yeah, now. yeah. anyway she's bad. got a new book that's the one sorry yeah she's got she's got a new book coming out called our share of night which is like an 800 page door stopper about familial sort of generational trauma and and, yeah, and, yeah. and things so I, i'm all for that yeah that that might that and chuck wendig and you are, are bringing it back <laughs> um so my next one's to, a little shorter don't worry well, let's let's ask that now, actually, because I believe you have a two-book contract with Nightfire. So, can you tell us anything about what's next? I believe it involves vampires. It does, yeah. It's uh, 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 it's funny. Cults and vampires are are kind <laughs> of au courant right now, and uh, you know, nobody nobody's I think doing it purposefully or cynically yet. Like we're all just kind of thinking about very similar things. <laughs> uh, so you're seeing a lot of cult and vampire novels coming out. Uh, um, but yeah, it's uh, the elevator pitch is basically it's 
Rosemary's Baby meets Salem's Lot with uh, with a healthy dose of The Shining thrown in there as well. It's about a a couple who has been through hell. Um, uh, it's kind of uh, uh, kind of uh, inspired by the year I just went through, actually, uh, that me and my wife went through. Uh, but uh, they have a an almost one year old baby. Uh, everything is is gone to shit. Like they're they feel like their luck has run out. But then a uh, they get notified that a housing lottery, an affordable housing lottery, in a luxury apartment building in Manhattan that they had entered like a decade ago is a joke. Their name has just come up, so they wind up getting this you know beautiful apartment on the top floor of this uh, famous luxury building. But unfortunately, one of the things that happened to them was the that there was a one in a billion accident during uh, childbirth, uh, and the the mom is has to use a wheelchair now, uh, and so she's of course very nervous about going to the top floor of of this building. But they wind up saying, you know, fuck it, uh, we've been through too much. This is like the first good luck we've had in a while. Uh, our luck is beginning to turn around, and they are very much proven wrong. Um, it's not quite a vampire novel. It's it's a new sort of twist on on vampires uh but it's it's of that uh, of that kind of uh, framework it's it's explicitly a a post covid new york novel it's explicitly a uh, a jewish novel which i which i am uh cuz i wanted to take like a, a jewish lens to vampire mythology uh so it's got a lot of stuff going on but it's also just like a good old fashioned paranoid <laughs> pot boiler sort of sort of horror novel uh so i'm very excited about it i i'm very much looking forward to people uh reading it do you have a working title? Uh, we've had to retitle it a bunch of times, which is huh. so frustrating because I love titles and I take my titles very seriously. Uh, but similarly with Mary, uh, the original title was Nest. Uh, and I am a new enough author that like I really can't or shouldn't have one word titles because like you can't Google me to save your life. Like you Google Nat Cassidy, uh-huh. never, Mary. Never thought about that. And yeah. it's, yeah, you get nothing. So that's why we, we had to append that uh, that subtitle. Uh, uh, to kind of just help with the metadata. Uh, so we, we didn't want it to be Nest. Uh, it was going to be maybe Bird's Nest, but uh, there's a Shirley Jackson novel called The Bird's Nest, and we didn't want it to bump up against that either. Uh, so at the moment, it is called Nestlings, uh, and there might be a subtitle. Um, the one I'm kind of gunning for is We Don't Belong Here. So it might be Nestlings or We Don't Belong Here, but I don't know if that has been... Uh, Agreed upon or finalized yet? But uh, that's that's a that's working title four Well, I'm I'm in favor of nestlings. It sounds like some kind of Octavia Butler horror show. <laughs> so I'm I'm all for that. Yeah, my wife hates it. That word hits her ears like moist hits some people's <laughs> ears. Like she's so uncomfortable by it. So I take that as a good sign. Yeah, that's a great sign. Yeah. Um, listen to change tack entirely. And, and to ask a very personal question, something you just alluded to, having a, a bad year. Um, I know that this book, Mary, that is, comes out only a few months after you lost both of your parents. I'm assuming you were doing edits in the midst of all that. I was. I was. Uh, here, I'll, I'll run down what 2021 was like for me. Uh, January 6th, you know, our, our, I don't know what it is about days ending, uh, days, the sixth of the month, but they, they apparently are very, uh, 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 fractious for politics, but, uh, January 6th, the day of our insurrection, um, uh, at like three in the morning that day, my wife's mom died. 
Uh, then 13 days later, my mom died. Then a couple of months later, one of my wife's best friends died. Then a couple of months later, the week before my 40th birthday, uh, our dog and our cat died on the same weekend. And then like three months after that, my dad died like right before Christmas. Uh, so within 12 months, basically like our entire family was just like wiped out uh, and all unrelated stuff. Uh, and that was while I was deep in a very intense uh, revision process for Mary. Um, Mary, Mary, Mary was uh, uh, going back to our, our Stephen King uh, uh, conversation. Mary's original second draft was like 180,000 words. I cut something like 60,000 words out of, out of that draft while this was happening. Uh, and before our pets died, they were both, they were both very old. They're, the dog was 16. The cat was 18. Uh, but they were, they were both in like real bad shape for a real long time. Mm -hmm. So caretaking for them was incredibly, uh, uh, intense. Um, our dog had canine dementia and kidney problems. Our cat had kidney problems. So I was running on about for two years, four hours of sleep because the, the dog wouldn't go to bed until midnight and would get up immediately at 4 a.m. and would have to go out on walks like every sometimes every like 15 minutes or something like that because she would either start peeing in the house or like she would just kind of freak out and have like little dementia moments so all of which is to say like oh 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 and 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 my wife was uh i, I can't even say diagnosed because the doctors never put their finger on it uh but she was suffering from a an incredibly horrendous uh, uh, chronic mystery pain. So for most of this too, she was practically bedridden. Uh, uh, she could not get out of it. She was just in excruciating agony all the time. Uh, so all of this was happening while we were, you know, also in our lockdown and also, you know, throughout the, the height of the pandemic and all that stuff. Uh, so that was my year. And I have never been that sleep deprived and that punch drunk from tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Um, one of the things I take away from that is that if you want to write your book, it is possible <laughs> no matter what is going on. Like, I don't want to sound like inspiration porn or anything like that, but I would write this book uh, after the dog had gotten up the first time. So usually from like four 30 to like six 30 uh, before the sun had come up, usually not even aware of the uh, the words I was putting on paper because I was mm. so exhausted. Uh, and then finding like an hour or two to grabble to, uh, to do a little more work throughout the day. Um, and uh, yes, so somehow trying to find the way to, to work on this book that I was incredibly grateful to have as a sort of lifeline uh, while everything else was, was falling apart uh, around me. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a, a, a blessing slash curse sort of scenario to have this book that was under contract and had to get written and had to get revised uh, by a certain point, but also like to get to escape into it uh, and to have it to work on while mm -hmm. all this horrible stuff was happening. Yeah, I don't I, I felt like I was uh, 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 building to some sort of thematic statement and I, I don't <laughs> have it other than like it was it was fucking hard and it was awful. Uh, and I'm still kind of processing it. This uh, 
Uh, Mary is very much dedicated to my mom who, uh, you know, similar to Carrie, uh, uh, was dealt like a, just a, an almost comedically unfair hand throughout her life. She went through things that nobody should have had to have gone through. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, I, I think sometimes they call this subgenre of horror good for her horror, uh, where, uh, <laughs> where, where our, our protagonist gets like a little revenge on, on society. Uh, and I feel like she would have really appreciated that. Uh, did, did then, you, did, did you get to discuss the project with her? Did she see parts? No, of it? she, uh, I, she had read, you know, she had read the version when I was 13. Uh, uh-huh. she was very much my, uh, my, my reader in question at that age. Uh, but she, uh, we started losing her to dementia related to her MS. Like, God, it started about 20 years ago and it was a very slow uh, process that eventually by like, I would say probably like 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, she couldn't really read anymore. Um, some of that was just like an attention span thing, but but eventually got to the point where she just literally couldn't read uh, and she she couldn't really like hold a book anyway. So I, I was able to tell her when I got the book deal, which would have been in like 2019, 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't even know if like how much of that really landed uh, by that point. She, she really kind of ceased to have any sort of short-term memory by that point. Uh, my dad got to read it, which I was very grateful for. Um, and his, he died much quicker. That was, a, that was a very quick, mm-hmm. uh, uh, quick thing. Uh, very unexpected. Um, so I was, I was grateful at least he got to read, um, he never got to like hold the book in his hands, but he got to read it. What would have been like the, you know, the copy we sent out for quotes and stuff like that. So I was, I was grateful for that. Um, the book I'm writing now is kind of about what me and my wife went through. And then the book, you know, if again, touch wood, uh, assuming I can get another contract, the, the book I want to write next, uh, is, is kind of for my dad, uh, okay. and about dads in general and, uh, he was a uh, very strange man with a very <laughs> uh, complicated and uh, bizarre life. He's he was a uh, he was a doctor until uh, his sixties, and then he decided to drop everything and become a cop at sixty. Uh, uh, so it was very very strange life uh, uh, that that kind of barely scratches the surface of it. Um, but so yeah, hopefully the the book I get to write next. Um, we'll we'll kind of delve into that and i'm sure there'll be a forward and an afterward for that too because i i kind of enjoy uh i I enjoy talking about the process yeah and i (laughs) i enjoy reading it i I love that stuff i love any kind of paratext i think it just enriches the experience i'm one of those people who love story notes at the end of collections and i don't get people who don't why would you not want that you know um but i I will just say like your dad sounds an absolute lad um and your mum, having read your brief writings about her, if I may say so, sounds like a kind of wonderfully indomitable person. Um, so I, I like to think she would have reacted with with great pleasure to Mary and 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 the eventual outcome of this book. Thank you. I I agree and I appreciate that greatly. She was uh, she was a hell of a woman. She uh, um, uh, yeah she uh, especially in her, in her. Her prime and the, the the height of her kind of cognitive capabilities, she was uh, she was incredible and um, like for for her uh, 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 kind of informal obituary, um, I uh, that I wrote for her for for social media because we all have to write press releases to our to our friends now whenever anything <laughs> happens. 
uh, uh, but I, I told the, the story of once she, you know, she was a, she was uh, born and raised in Queens and, and had a, you know, kind of very complicated, sometimes abusive uh, childhood and she ran away when she was 15 uh, and uh, always used to, she was a big storyteller and she used to uh, tell us uh, about one time when she, someone put a knife to her throat in Central Park uh, and she told the guy, fuck you. Uh, and that was the, uh, that was kind of a, a very, uh, illustrative example of the sort of person she was. So, uh, Mary, Mary is very much a, a fuck you story in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. and I think she would have dug it. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I'm, to be honest, I'm not going to carry on talking because that's, that's the nicest way to, to end that. I think from this end of her, she would have dug it massively. Listen, let's finish as we always do. Can you recommend a book for my listeners and tell us why? Yeah, um, I was I was thinking about this. Uh, I'll I'll be a bit of a downer uh, and say the book that I would recommend uh, is "We Wish to Inform You That Tomorrow We Will Be Killed with Our Families" uh, by Philip Gorovich. It's a book on the Rwandan genocide, and it has been on my mind a lot lately. Okay, uh, uh, it is. It's just one of you know when you come across a book uh, that kind of opens your eyes a little bit and, and changes the way you look at the world. This this is very much one of those books for me, uh, and I'm not comparing the situations uh, uh, in reality in the slightest. But it's just a it's a book that'll make you think a lot about the current moment we're in, even though this event happened in the mid '90s. Uh, in that it's very much it, it'll it'll just change the way you look at. Uh, um, uh, the the uh, um, you know harmful punditry, the kind of divisiveness mm-hmm. that is happening right now, the arbitrariness of a lot of uh, you know the lines uh, against which we are dividing ourselves or being divided, uh, uh, colonialism, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. It's uh, uh, it's an incredibly uh, disturbing moment in uh, human history, and also I think an incredibly important one to kind of. Uh, uh, to grapple with and and look at and explore. Um, it's not a fun read, uh, but it is an easy read. Like Philip Gorovitch is a, is a phenomenal writer, so it's not like a, a, a difficult book to read. It's difficult subject matter to read, mm-hmm. um, but it's also incredible. And what's the title again, just for my listeners' sake? We wish to inform you that tomorrow we will be killed with our families. You will, you will come away from it a different person. I yeah, think. That's, that's quite the impactful title there's no real messing around with that yeah well that that will go on the show notes and i will i will try and forge the time to check it out because that that sounds grueling in a different way um and to be honest that answer what you just said about some of those things may lead into your 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 next answer but but as i always ask that what truly scares you so many things oh i'm scared (laughs) all the time neil i i you know i i have my pat answers and i have my my uh my small answers you know i don't like heights uh, i'm scared of shit like that uh i'm scared of fascism i don't like that uh uh i was raised by a single jewish mom i'm scared of a lot of stuff uh but i th- i think the biggest fear i have and it's not surprising as someone who who lost his mom very young to dementia dementia scares the shit out of me the idea of like losing yourself mm-hmm. uh losing losing your touchstone in reality uh, uh, so it's, it's appropriate. We're talking about this, this book of self-discovery and, uh, 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 kind of the shifting understanding of, of oneself and the, uh, uh, the rewriting of, of one's identity, because that can be a very affirming thing and a very inspiring thing, but it can also be just 
utterly terrifying to comprehend. Uh, so that's, yeah, that'll be, that'll be, again, my very downer answer. No, it's fine. I mean, that is a very, it's a pertinent thing. I mean, we have, we have dementia in my family, well, in my wife's family and stuff, and it's that looming menace. Um, but like you say, Mary at least is, is the, the darkest possible antidote to that. Cause it's, it's a book about a woman finding herself rather than losing herself. So I, I suppose in that sense, at least there is some solace there. Right. May we all be so lucky. Indeed. Well, I'm going to say now, we've, we've talked for a while, it's been a great conversation. I don't say these things lightly, but I've read around 50 books this year so far, and Mary easily makes my top five. Um, oh. So, I, I yeah, I, I recommend everyone grab it. It's It manages to be both a lovely slice of retro Stephen Kingish horror, as we've discussed, but it's also got all of the... Something I didn't say in the actual conversation is it's got this kind of blackly comedic line of something like Ariaster's Midsommar, you know, is it something I kept thinking about all the way through? And I, and I think people dig it a lot. Um, it's out today at the time of when this is released, and I, I think everyone should pick it up. Um, but for now, Nat Cassidy, thank you for talking scared. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Go and get some rest. Right, it's going to be a quick outro this week due to temperature. Because for those of you who don't know, I record this episode in my converted loft. It's a lovely, big, airy space for most of the year. However, it does get hot in the summer, and right now, in this unprecedented UK heatwave, it's like I've been buried alive. Now, I can't get anywhere near the same sound quality anywhere else in the house. It gets quite echoey. Last year I tried recording the episode with Ronald Malfi and Sarah Flannery Murphy from my kitchen and it sounds like I recorded it in the Lincoln Tunnel. Um, So I'm balancing audio integrity against heat stroke. Now I've just wasted about a minute explaining that to you so, so let's just crack on before I melt. Nat is a lovely guy, obviously, and it gave me such pleasure to tell him how highly I rate his book. And I do. Mary is an absolute riot. There's just so much going on in those pages. It, it, it makes a fairly chunky book feel like a breeze. Now, we talked enough about King, and you can feel the influence of those late 80s and early 90s bestsellers just dripping off of Mary's pages. But there's a difference between influence by and derivative of. And don't be mistaken that there is a lot of really new stuff in Nat's book. And even the stuff that isn't so original is told with real confidence and a a dark kind of joy that's just infectious. This is one of the books of the year for me, and I really do recommend it. Before we even sat down to record, Nat and I had bonded over our mutual love of Bruce Springsteen. Now, I'm genuinely not sure how much I've mentioned that on the show before, Maybe you're all wincing, maybe I've talked about it loads, I don't know. I know I've written about Bruce elsewhere at length, as he really is the centre of my creative life. Him and Stephen King are kind of like my two poles, and it sounds like Nat feels the same. Sadly, because we got so deeply into the book chat, we didn't follow through on the promise to talk about the boss. And Nat has agreed to come talk to me again to record a special Patreon episode all about Bruce's influence on both our lives and our storytelling. So that's something to look forward to if you like anything to do with either me, Nat, or Springsteen. And and the fact that you've got this far through the episode suggests you like at least one of those things. And 
And like I said in the foreword to this episode, if you do want more Talking Scared, you can sign up for Patreon and get all kinds of weird, horror-adjacent conversations. Recently, that includes bonus stuff from Paul Tremblay and more from my other recent guests like Tim McGregor, T. Kingfisher and Nat himself, as well as plenty of my general thoughts and musings. To get all that, you just follow the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash talkingscaredpod. And get in touch, generally. Mary is out now, and if you've read it, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd also love to know about any other great horror books that deal with those weird taboos like shock horror being a bit older or gasp going through a normal physiological change. You can contact me with thoughts and recommendations at talkingscaredpod at gmail.com or find me on Insta and Twitter at talkscaredpod. I've had loads of lovely reviews recently from Bubblegum1992, The Mint Master, from Eric123456788, great handle, and an especially delightful bit of coverage from Erica Robin on her blog ericarobinreads.com. Go check that blog out. Thanks, each and every one of you who've left a review. It means an awful lot. And if you haven't, and if you think I'm worth it, please do leave your thoughts on this show wherever you get your podcasts. Right, onward. Next week's episode is already recorded. It's with Nina Nesseth, who takes a scientific look at the way horror movies hit the human brain. The book is called Nightmare Fuel, The Science of Horror Films. It's an enlightening chat, especially for someone as mortally terrified of horror movies as I am. I did record it at the absolute lowest ebb of my COVID symptoms, and it shows. But don't miss it, because Nina, at least, is great. Until then, though, Keep cool in the heat, look after pets and elderly people, drink more water, and italicise your inner monologues. Read good books, and remember, it's good to be scared. <laughs>